Hey guys, it's C.S. Joseph with csjoseph.life doing another episode for Season 17. This is Season 17, Episode 13, or How the Four Sides of the Mind uh, Impact uh, the Life Stages of a Human. Uh, this is basically Part 2 from the episode that we had yesterday with our Patreon Gold Live Lecture. If you want to get in on live lectures, then I recommend signing up uh, for our Patreon, uh, getting the gold tier at csjoseph.life forward slash Patreon. That being said, um, I really wanted to immediately do basically part two to yesterday's lecture uh, because it's part of an ongoing discussion uh, that is basically at one of the hearts of, or the cores, I guess, cores plural, I guess, of season 17 itself. And uh, it's because season 17 has been a very um, controversial uh, lecture series that we've done so far. One of the reasons why is because we've been tackling everything from existentialism, uh, evolution versus intelligent design, and uh, etc. And uh, we've also been uh, going out of our way to uh, make sure that we're discussing like even other sacred cows, transgenderism, gender politics, gender roles, uh, traditions, etc. Uh, but I think it's really necessary to kind of go a little bit deeper about some of these topics. And one of the ways that we're going to, uh, at least I think that we should discuss that is, uh, you know, by going even further in terms of parenting. Yesterday, we discussed about how, you know, hey, the four sides of the mind, they manifest in children in different ways. Here's how you can type your child uh, with the type grid. Uh, here's the two different competing theories. And the theory that I currently maintain uh, is the truth, is how uh, children present as their subconscious uh, earlier in their age. And the older they get, then they actually present as their ego until at which time they hit adolescence and they become uh, their, um, you know, their ego, their ego is solidified, etc. And in yesterday's lecture, I presented how there's different life stages or life uh, phases uh, that everyone encounters when developing uh, the four sides of their mind, uh, specifically. And this is uh, what we know as like a quarter life crisis. Actually, I bring up the visual right here. I think I have it right here that we used yesterday. Um, so here's basically what we had from yesterday. Um, we got quarter life crisis, midlife crisis, three quarter life crisis, and ultimately death or a meaningful death in terms of the life cycle of a human being. However, there are some additional factors that we did not really discuss at length yesterday uh, surrounding this model. And I wanted to take the time to go in a little bit deeper uh, because the discussion is just getting started, uh, at least in terms of the comment section on YouTube. So I wanted to actually go even deeper uh, from here, uh, just to make sure that the discussion is guided in a, uh, a healthy way and doesn't end up misguided. So people end up drawing the wrong conclusions about what it is I'm trying to present. Because this particular model actually has far more impact to it uh, than we realize. But before we could do that, we have to go on further and discuss uh, some additional points regarding human nature and human nurture. So let's uh, let's do that now. Um, so uh, guys all know that uh, we have Venn diagrams, basically. 
So I'm going to draw a Venn diagram right here. It's a really uh, crappy uh, Venn diagram, I'll admit. I probably should have had Railgun draw this for me uh, because, uh, you know, SC Demon makes drawings look like worm spit. You know, so anyway. Uh, in here, we're going to have like the human being, etc. A nice uh, red gushy center. Um, and then uh, human being, yes. And then uh, from there, uh, we're going to look at nature and nurture. All right, so this is the, the typical model that we've used. I actually go a lot deeper in this model. I think it's in season 13, uh, where I talk about the way of the human being, where I talk about nature, nurture, uh, spirituality, uh, the earth as we know it, and it's basically this four-dimensional uh, yin and yang, this four, yin and yang, excuse me, uh, this uh, four-dimensional uh, Venn diagram that we utilize uh, to help explain, you know, the human existence from a metaphysical standpoint to kind of bring it to reality. However, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, human beings and developing their four sides of the mind, there are different processes and things that, you know, people go through in order to reach that. Now, yesterday when I was discussing this in this lecture, I was talking about like a default uh, like a, a default state, and that default state is the traditional state. Uh, I was talking about how traditionally these life stages, uh, you know, occur basically, uh, and how they manifest uh, potentially, you know, all the way from from you know early childhood to like up to you know death within the life cycle of a human being, etc. Right. So all these things are, are relevant. The problem is, is that guess what? I'm pragmatic, and for me to like, you know, show some kind of bias towards uh, a traditional outlook is n not really. It's not as accurate as I want it to be. While the traditionalist point of view is accurate and has been accurate for a very long time, we live in a new day of day and age where that's not necessarily the case, and that's not a bad thing either. Um, you could actually, I mean, I understand, like, if, if, if critics were to twist what I said yesterday and, like, make me out to be some kind of anti-feminist patriarchal uh, person, uh, I, I would totally understand. But, I mean, I'd also admit that I am an anti-feminist anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think feminism is horrible. It's also a lie, and it's very damaging to men, and it's even far more damaging to women than women actually realize. Um, patriarchy is not exactly an alternative either, so I recommend a third alternative, and that basically is a, a gender system of gender rules and gender responsibilities based on merit uh, from a neutral point of view. So I'm going to add that over here. Um, I'm going to do merit on this side uh, from the uh, neutral point of view, but I also want to uh, consider uh, I want to consider um, like you know the gender slant uh, of uh, nature. So what does this mean? If you go back to season 13, which is the personal sovereignty lecture series, where we're talking about the mature masculine and the mature feminine, uh, we end up actually seeing a picture of what the mature masculine and the mature feminine actually looks like. The reason I did that lecture series is because I had to build upon the other neutral, uh, neutral uh, statements that I was, you know, making from previous lecture series. So, for example, we have season four playlist on this YouTube channel 
which is how do intimate relationships actually work? And a lot of people don't understand that I even talk about this, where I talk about how men and women and how, or, or masculine and feminine relationships, how those relationships actually manifest uh, together. Uh, those, uh, the information presented in season four is also uh, indicative of homosexual relationships as well. It's not just for men and women only. It actually applies to basically everyone. The reason why is because don't forget, uh, I think it's season 17, episode three, where we talk about the subconscious side of the mind specifically, where we talk about how there's these two competing theories about how the anima and the animus represent, uh, you know, two separate genders. Uh, um, basically, it's it's the opposite gender of what your ego is, uh, you know, in that particular situation. It's the opposite gender. And how, um, and that's one theory. And then there's my theory, which is each individual, one of the 16 types actually has its own gender slant. Uh, so for example, um, any type that is informative is slanted towards the feminine. Any type that is direct is slanted towards the masculine, regardless of what body you inhabit. You could be a man, but you could have a feminine personality. Uh, you could be a woman, but you could have a masculine personality. And this is where ENTJ, ESTP, ISTP, INTJ women are like, yeah, they're really, they're very happy about, you know, having that, you know, point of view and being represented at least, oh, wow, thank God, somebody understands me. You know what I'm saying? Because those are the most masculine of the women of the female types uh, that have been represented are those four types with the ESTP representing the most masculine of them all. Um, uh, as, as an individual uh, as an individual type uh, because of how concrete they are, etc. And uh, the TI parent authenticity, etc. Uh, but then uh, but by the same token, when you look at men who are, um, you know, where you have the most feminine of the types, which are the crusader types, male crusaders often are derided and disregarded by fellow men as too, as too uh, feminine. For example, I'm one of these types, I'm an ENTP, and throughout my upbringing, I was often bullied and made fun of uh, consistently uh, for like, oh, you're too much like a girl, Chase, you know, and I'd always get that all the time, right? Uh, which is funny, okay, and that, and that kind of makes sense, you know, you know, early on, but then when you look at uh, my other types, you know, my other four sides within my four sides quartet, basically, ENTP, ISFJ, INTJ, ESFP, three of those four are feminine. So I'm, I actually end up presenting a very feminine character, even though as I gain my concreteness over time, as I'm seeking to become more like an ISFJ through subconscious development, you know, um, and then learning how to interact with the physical environment with my INTJ shadow, then I could start to present more masculine traits as I get older. This is why, you know, like for example, ENTP boys are insanely feminine and often the targets of bullying, especially from ESTPs or other Templar types on the playground specifically because of these uh, cultural gender biases that we end up having as a result of human nurture that's built upon within children within culture. This is a big issue. Um, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, and I'm not advocating for bullying right now, especially since like, I actually, it's funny enough, uh, earlier today, I started an argument uh, with uh, someone by the name of Dan Pankis, I think. He's a, did like a TED talk on bullying. 
and he mentioned this thing on LinkedIn that triggered me, so I had no choice but to TI parent his ESTJ, uh, you know, and basically inform him that I fundamentally disagree with his premise. And he shot back and told me that I'm jumping to conclusions because I'm very subjective. I mean, okay, I guess that's a typical response for TE Hero. But uh, I, I informed him, I was like, listen, what do, you do when, what do you do when it comes to bullying when you're dealing with a situation where people become indignant? The reason I bring this up is because my mentors, both my mentors, my ESTP mentor and my INFJ mentor, especially my INFJ mentor, taught me the meaning of indignance. And this was something that was absolutely necessary with my own development as a human being. And it actually helped me get over my quarter life crisis. Uh, because indignance, what it means is, is that you react negatively to perceived unfair treatment. And someone who's being, who's being uh, the victim of constructive criticism oftentimes reacts in, in indignantly and accuses the constructive criticizer of bullying when no bullying is actively taking place. The person who's being criticized is just depraved, and as a result of that depravity, they are indignant. And this is something my INFJ mentor pointed out to me. It, bottom line is it, it was an extremely painful process to come to that realization and come to the realization that I was I was basically behaving poorly and negatively in response to perceived unfair treatment when the reality of the situation was I was being treated fairly. And this is a common problem, especially amongst crusader men, given how feminine uh, we present typically. So... When it comes to these things, we have to, you know, we go back and we look at, you know, the uh, the nature versus nurture, you know, point, you know, gender slant versus merit. Because yesterday in, in uh, episode 12, I was explaining how, you know, from a gender point of view or like from a traditional point of view, for example, um, we have our quarter life crisis and, you know, men would typically have to present their rite of passage in order to get past quarter life crisis. And that would be like, for example king, warrior, magician, lover, and king is basically obtaining 100% self-sufficiency, right? Uh, that would, uh, they'd have their own transportation, their own job, their own home, 100% self-sufficient, not receiving any assistance from anyone whatsoever. And, and that is basically, it counts as their ritual for rite of passage. And it also counts as them uh, arriving to a level of personal responsibility uh, such that they've achieved their quarter-life crisis. Well, if we go a little bit deeper than that, we're going to talk about women in a second here. Uh, why is that? Well, remember, quarter-life crisis, I just want to get this in here, represents a person's struggle to reach personal responsibility. That's where it is, okay? And then midlife crisis represents a person's ability to obtain humility, right? And then three quarter life crisis is represents a person's ability to obtain wisdom. And this is some of the main things that we've been talking about in season 19. Season 19 represents the best possible way for you to reach enlightenment as your own type, uh, to, uh, to reach the highest level of cognitive integration, cognitive development. And I walk each of the individual 16 types through their entire process uh, from immaturity and their entire walk to maturity, how they develop their personal responsibility, their humility, their wisdom, etc. And ultimately, the end, which 
which is where death basically would exist, but quite frankly, it is absolute total self-mastery. And that's effectively when your trickster function becomes the master function, when you're able to transform your trickster function to the master function and gain absolute total mastery over that function. And I go in a lot deeper in our Ruby conferences talking about the master function and how that works. If you want to learn more about the master function, uh, just check out the associated Ruby contra, uh, conference. It's um, csjoseph.life forward slash Patreon. Scroll all the way down to Ruby and you should see it there. I forget which month it is specifically. It might be January 2020 uh, or it might be November 2020. One of those two, I believe. So anyway, the point is, is that these represent why do we have these life crises? Why do we have these life stages? It's because our brains are trying to guarantee that the four sides of our mind, because for example, responsibility um, typically comes from, you guessed it, the ego. Humility comes from the subconscious, right? Okay, uh, oh my gosh, spelling is horrible. And then the unconscious uh, for, oh, gross. And then obviously the super ego down here uh, for the uh, the final uh, the final thing. So each of your four sides eventually have to come to you know this understanding. You know ego, subconscious, unconscious, super ego uh, to that point. That's why that's why it's done, right? Well, why why is that why is it necessary? Well, if you look at it in a completely different context, let's uh, let's. Uh, Let's imagine it from uh, another point of view again. Um, so from the female side, you have queen, okay? But we're just gonna put king up here as well. So king and queen, and then you have uh, warrior, and then uh, mother, for example. Um, uh, warrior, mother, and the mother archetype goes a little bit deeper than that because the mother archetype isn't just giving birth and having a child. The mother archetype also represents getting all of your children out of the house, right? Uh, so that's that's kind of a big deal. And then and then becoming an empty nester and dealing with that uh, potential trauma, etc. And then uh, there is also um, magician. Uh, and then there's matron. And then at the bottom, then we both have lover for both, okay? So using the four archetypes, the mature masculine, the mature feminine, you can actually also directly translate them into ego, subconscious, unconscious, superego, and then also directly uh, uh, put the lessons of each of the individual crises, quarter-life crisis, midlife crisis, three-quarter-life crisis, and a meaningful death, and how each of those represent responsibility, humility, wisdom, and mastery on a person's journey to enlightenment or cognitive integration, right? All of this is necessary to consider, all this information is necessary to consider when you're uh, when moving forward. However, so let's dial it back to what I was saying yesterday in episode 12, talking about the traditional point of view. What is the default point of view when considering these life stages, right? What is the default point of view? Okay, so... The default point of view um, is that when when considering these things, typically quarter life crisis represents, hey, to a man, do you have king? Are you are you 100% self sufficient? Quarter life crisis typically to a woman is, are you married yet? 
You know, that's that's the traditional point of view. Married yet and looking at having a child, right? And then that pressure beyond quarter-life crisis. If they're already married before they have received their quarter-life crisis, then, you know, they start to have a midlife crisis potentially if they haven't had a child. But it's really, really subjective. Guys, don't consider this like statics. Think of this in terms of dynamics. Dynamics in terms of how people develop. And this is the traditional uh, situation. Now, a lot of women, especially in the comments section, uh, as expected uh, for uh, in episode 12, are like, well, hold on. I didn't make, my quarter life crisis had nothing to do with, you know, having a child, for example. It had everything to do with reaching self-sufficiency. It's kind of like king. And I'm like, yes, yes, it would be. But why? Why isn't it the static thing for like all women, for example, to be focused on getting married and having a baby as traditionally as it would? The answer is right over here. Right over here. This right here, all of this, okay? So why is that? Because remember, like what we talked about in season 17, episode three, talk about the subconscious, and we talk about the theory where each of the 16 types has its own preferred gender attached to it. Now, inverse theory, uh, such as anima and animus, teaches that it's only the subconscious that contains its opposite gender side, which I, the opposing gender, which I agree with sometimes, but it's not true for everybody, right? Uh, that would mean like, so for example, um, let's, let's, let's come up with one that's that way. Um, oh yeah, so an ENTJ ego with an ISFP subconscious, that would be fine because the ego is a male and the subconscious is a female, for example. And this would be especially true if this was like an ENTJ man, but according to inverse theory, also and and also uh, anima and animus uh, theory in the Jungian uh, psychology area, I find this fundamentally inaccurate. Uh, this 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 can't be true. It, it just cannot be true. So I, I present this in in uh, season seventeen, episode three. I present that theory and how I disagree with it, and and I put you know and how there it's a competing theory with my theory, which is each of the 16 types has its own gender slant. And then on top of that, you have the gender slant provided by your own body, right? So I'm a man, but I have a feminine ENTP ego in a male body. So it creates a, an interesting form of balance in terms of uh, a yin and yang uh, balance of uh, masculine feminine energy uh, within myself. But then you have someone like my wife who you know also has that balance, or you get somebody who is a man who is ENTJ ego. It's like it's like a double helping of masculine, right? Or an ESTP male. It's like a triple helping of masculinity. You know what I'm saying? There's higher levels and and, and lower levels of masculinity going up and down based on all these factors. What is the gender of your body? What is the gender of your ego? And then oh wait a minute, what is the gender of the four sides of the mind, right? So this is why in reality, even though I was presenting the default traditionalistic viewpoint yesterday within episode 12, when you're trying to look at how the different life crises for people to develop personal responsibility, personal humility, personal wisdom, and self-mastery, ultimately, to be able to obtain king, warrior, magician, lover, uh, queen, mother, matron, lover as well, in order for these archetypes to be satisfied, you have to go through these different life crises 
Well, guess what? Depending on the gender of your natures, you know, the four sides of your mind versus the gender of your own body and whatnot, and then to add on top of that, the neutral component of your culture and where you come from, it literally causes these life crises to manifest differently. This is why you have women out there, like for example, NTJ women and STP women, especially um, more so STP women, I would absolutely maintain uh, that um, they end up valuing self-sufficiency in this day and age, especially with the human nurture component present, far more than you know obviously having the pressure to have a baby. Now in the example I provided yesterday, this was basically an ISFP woman who was dealing with her quarter life crisis because she hasn't had a baby yet, but she was already married and uh, et cetera. And that's kind of a, you know, that was a thing and that's how that was coming about. But she was also a feminine type in a feminine body. You see what I'm saying? Um, now, granted, do not jump to the conclusion that I'm trying to make a case for transgenderism. I am not making a case for transgenderism, so please do not use my work here to, as, a, as a way to make a case for transgenderism. Like, do not do that. That's not what I represent. That's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying that I'm bashing transgenderism people either. I'm actually very, very close friends with some transgendered people, and I've been in their life for many, many, many years. It's not about that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is that when you're raising a child, um, do make sure that you keep track of whether or not their ego is more slanted, is, is slanted more to which gender, and keep track of the slant provided their own physical body as well, okay? And then keep track of the nurture coming from you. Why is this necessary? Because what people don't understand from a, a human nature, a human nurture standpoint, let, let me let me let me uh, let me draw it out here for you on the whiteboard, just to kind of make uh, make sense. Let's look at uh, how human nurture and human nature actually presents, uh, you know, from a metaphysical point of view. Okay, so we, let's say we have a person, okay, and then let's say we have a child, okay, and this person is an ISFJ, okay? And then this child is an ENTP, okay? And oops, I don't know why it's doing that. Stop, stop doing that, okay. So these two types at this point, you know, they're present. Now, this is their, uh, so this is, um, um, okay, so, like, so, so this is the nature, you know, and this is nature as well, the nature inside their heads. Now, when the ISFJ is doing something to the ENTP and the ENTP is doing something to the ISFJ, this is nurture, okay? Think about this way. Human nature is introverted in general. I'm just saying from this metaphysical point of view, I'm not, I'm not saying like, and the extroverted form of nature is nurture. So nurture is extroverted in this way that it's communicating, and I'm using basic Jungian uh, terminology here, uh, but it's literally nurture. This is how nurture manifests. The thing is, though, is that is this ISFJ male or female? Is this ENTP male or female, right? Uh, in, their, in their bodies, right? And then you obviously have what their egos represent at all. How are you parenting them? 
are, are you are you are you considering uh, positive and negative impacts from the nurture that you're applying to your child? Your children are certainly not considering the negative impacts to you, but you're the parents, right? You're the one who's supposed to be responsible. And is it not your job to set up your children in such a way where they have all the mental tools necessary to get through their own life crises while you're trying to get through your life crises? What happens when you're a parent that you didn't have a parent to help you get through those things? You see what I'm saying? And then you're trying to raise a child. Well, thank God we know this science and we can actually have these discussions so that you as a parent can be equipped to be a better parent and help your child so that they can help their children. And then as a result, we're able to better impact the human nurture of society itself and, pre and prevent fatherlessness, right? You know, the original mission of this channel and this community to completely destroy fatherlessness and child abandonment because the bottom line is, is that children gain their identity from their fathers, not their mothers. You know, a lot of people disagree with me on that. Well, it's proven. I mean, if you want to look at some source material on that, uh, you could look at Mark Driscoll. You could look at uh, Warren Farrell. He wrote The Boy Crisis. He's probably like the biggest authority on the problem that faces men. Uh, you could look at books like The Rational Male. Uh, you could look at uh, sources like Dr. Robert Glover. Folks, it's known. It's a fact. Yeah, it's inescapable. Just look it up. Um, so... The point is, uh, you know, when you're in these situations, it's our responsibility to make sure that, again, we're helping our children get through these crises so that they can understand responsibility, humility, wisdom. And you, yourself as a parent, need to make sure that you are the best possible example for your children in the process as you're going through your crises. Interestingly enough, given the differences in gender from the ego versus differences from gender in their own physical bodies, etc., uh, you can also, and also the compatibility and the camaraderie of your own types on top of all of that, children can actually assist parents getting through their crises as well. So it ends up becoming a really nice exchange. Don't forget, youth and skill still matter. I get that there's people out there who think age and treachery is better than youth and skill. But then again, maybe I suggest you read the book of Job and watch the young guy absolutely roast and light Job and his older guys on fire with his, you know, T.I. truth. Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? So it's not always that way. Again, guys, this is all about dynamics. It's not about statics. You know what I'm saying? So just keep this understood. I am by no way saying that quarter-life crisis is literally all about a woman and whether or not she's having a baby. For men, it is all about self-sufficiency. It is what it is uh, because that's where they draw their sense of manhood. It's at that point that the human nurture of society is willing to accept a man as a man. At least that's how it was. The problem is is that in general, at least in terms of news media uh, or feminism, self-sufficiency, 100% self-sufficiency isn't good enough in the eyes of society for men. It's just not good enough. However, women instinctually know that if a man has reached that level of self-sufficiency and they've gotten past their quarter-life crisis and they have their rite of passage because they're 100% self-sufficient, that automatically makes that man far more sexually attractive than the other men out there who are actually man children. They're not men because they haven't passed their rite of passage, etc. And that's why you have all those ISTP guys out there 
who are like, well, you know, I don't have to be responsible and I can sleep with as many women as I want so long as, you know, I don't criticize any other woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's like really annoying, you know, that they do that. But then at that point, it's like, well, they're not 100% self-sufficient. So, you know, women are just not really interested in them. And they're not, they're not as attractive, etc. And this is what separates the girls from the women. And again, this is why I make sure that this is the standard of intimacy, this, the gold standard of sexuality. Do not have sex with a man unless he's willing to die for you. Men, do not have sex with a woman unless you're willing to die for them. And it's all as a result of you reaching king, warrior, etc. Uh, to have that 100% self-sufficiency. The thing is, is that it's not as important as it used to be in the eyes of society. However, when it comes to basic sexuality and sexual relationships, it's absolutely imperative to woman because to uh, to a real man who is 100% self-sufficient, women grow on trees at that point compared to the man children who, who literally say, oh, women are the most valuable, most rarest resource and getting their attention is super mega hard. And then they hire people like Owen Cook from RSD Motivation or Corey Wayne from How to Be a 3% Man or Neil Strauss from The Game uh, in order to learn pickup artistry because they're such big losers that they'd rather focus their time on that instead of actually becoming self-sufficient, which is what makes them desirable to, to, in, in the eyes of a woman in the first place. But they just don't understand that. See, if a man is focusing on self-sufficiency, he'll just like automatically be attractive. Doesn't matter what his physique is. But, you know, for the most part, they just they just don't get it, you know, for some reason. But one of the reasons they don't get it is because society itself has actually demerited men reaching self-sufficiency. Inasmuch as society has demerited, traditionally, women, you know, passing their quarter-life crisis and their rite of passage as a result of getting married and potentially producing children, Right? So it's regardless, society in general, especially Western society, especially Western society, and it's, and it's getting worse, especially uh, in Arabia, for example, uh, and, you know, that these kinds of like these, these gender roles, these gender politics, etc., are changing in such a way where traditional uh, feminine roles are also being demerited and devalued as much as traditional male ones are, right? So is this a good thing? Yeah, it actually is. It actually is a good thing, but here is why, right? The reason why is because, uh, and, uh, and I'll give an interesting example here in a second, but the reason why is that for the first time, you know, in a long time, people end up being given freedom of choice. Now, it's not necessarily a good thing for, for men to have their self-sufficiency devalued that should be valued. Men don't have the ability to produce children on their own and take on that role. So they end up getting the short end of the stick. And that's a problem, right? That's, that's a serious problem. You still can't fight biology. So the rite of passage for men to reach 100% self-sufficiency for their quarter-life crisis, that needs to be respected. It just has to be respected. It has to be respected. And men who do that need to be respected as men and not man-children by society and but don't worry, women who are interested in having a sexual relationship already do that by default. If they don't do that, then they're girls and you shouldn't have relationships with girls. You should have relationships with women, right? You know, who are like actually mature and understand that. 
Now on the female side, on the, on, on the feminine side, it's a little bit different because the, the goodness comes from is that we're no longer relying, societally speaking per se, we're no longer relying on the human nurture component because society is getting closer and closer and closer to relying on the human nature component, which means now, so far, I mean, as we're getting away from feminism, we've already gotten away from patriarchy, but we're getting away from feminism and hopefully we, we stay away from feminism. It can die in a dumpster fire and be thrown down a hill and over out to the sea where it can just go away and never come back into the collective unconscious of man again. Uh, at that point, we find ourselves in a situation where people's egos, the gender of their ego and as much as the gender of their body is equally respected which means women then have the option of obtaining a rite of passage, you know, through self-sufficiency. But wait a minute, it goes even deeper than that. Primary and secondary, yin and yang relationships, okay? Will a woman actually be 100% satisfied looking at their secondary gender role of reaching 100% self-sufficiency? when their primary role of potentially being a wife and having children, would that necessarily be satisfied? Traditionally, no. And ultimately this is proven, like there's actually a study uh, about like uh, some Jews, for example, who ended up having this uh, communist society where they allowed everybody 100% freedom to decide their, their gender roles uh, uh, within the context of their society and men could work inside and women can work out in the fields. And they started their society that way. But over time, all of the men ended up in the field and all the women ended up inside, you know, working inside. And that's generally just how it went. Naturally, it's there. And it shows primary and secondary trait dynamics from masculine feminine situations. So statistically, nature is nature. Statistically, you know, as quarter life crisis goes, yeah, women can still going in the self-sufficiency path, but are they really getting past quarter life crisis? Because statistically, the answer is no. Statistically, is they'd still have that pressure to potentially get married and fall in love and have and have a child or, or produce children statistically, um, as is proven by that uh, by that, you know, that communist Jewish uh, sect uh, that they did studies on in the 1900s, etc. Uh, to that end. Um, I forget the name of that study, so please someone put that in the comments for me. So, but that doesn't take away from the fact that each of these different crises of life, they can occur at different times. They can occur sooner than I presented. You can have quarter-life crisis probably when you're 14 years old. That's probably when quarter-life crisis originally occurred because women were having babies as soon as they had their first period, basically, which is like, you know, early teens, etc. And uh, or at least it should be, although nowadays it's happening as early as nine years old or eight years old, which is insane. But you can thank all of the toxic society and the fact that we have so much hormones in our water and everything that we do that uh, this just ends up happening to young girls, which is just absolutely asinine, if you ask me. Um, but, you know, that's just that's just what happens. So but anyway, uh, so please, please consider these things, guys, please, please consider how, you know, these crises, they have to occur so that someone can understand personal responsibility, humility, wisdom, and death and mastery. And if a woman doesn't have a man in her life that she completely trusts, a man in her life who would be willing to die for her, 
she's kind of forced to take on her secondary uh, masculine role, depending on, you know, from a nurturing standpoint, to seek self-sufficiency. She doesn't have a choice at that moment. What happens if she has a child, but then that man leaves her? She has to take on that secondary masculine role. This is necessary because the way our brains are shaped is that, uh, you know, and are, and are handled is that there's always secondary systems. There's always secondary modes of functioning to be able to deal with different life crises, right? Like, for example, your man leaves you and you're still stuck trying to care for a child and for yourself at the same time. That really sucks. You know what I'm saying? It happens, right? So they have these built-in masculine traits for women. And I think this is one of the reasons why each of, each of the 16 types has their own built-in femininity or masculinity within them to be able to guarantee the survival of the race because it's like a, it's a, it's a mental redundant system. It's like the reason why we have two eyes and two lungs and two kidneys, etc. It's built-in mental redundancy to be able to take on these roles. This is one of the things that Dr. John Beebe at his last presentation that I attended was trying to explain because he had this one movie that he was using as an example where he had two lesbian mothers and one of the lesbian mothers had to take on all of the masculine traits to deal with the, an invader uh, of their family to get rid of the invader so that they could have their family again, right? It's all this built-in redundancy. So again, by no means am I saying that women can't focus on self-sufficiency but it may or may not be enough to handle their quarter-life crisis uh, because, again, that depends on human nurtural components, uh, externally, that is. It depends on what the, the masculine femininity uh, of, their, uh, of their ego is as well, and then obviously the, the femininity of their body uh, that, they, that they inhabit, that their mind and soul inhabits, etc. All of those factors come into play as well as the additional uh, external circumstances, you know, again, nurturally, uh, you know, in terms of, okay, do I have a man who's willing to die for me? This is one of the reasons why when talking about women, I say, you know, do not have sex with a man unless he's willing to die for you. And if you think about it, logically speaking, if a man is willing to die for you, he's willing to give you a ring. Think about it. You know, like, so like, you know, I, I, met, I met Railgun and, we were talking a little bit leading up to the point where like I first met her, but like three weeks later we were married. Okay. That that's a thing. Uh, because like, it's like, well, yeah, I'm willing to die for her. Okay. Here's a ring done. And you know, and our, and our one year anniversary is literally like next month. You see what I'm saying? So like, you don't have to like live your life by this, you know, bullshit traditionalism and these gender rules of life. That's not what I'm saying. And even the Gospel of Thomas actually calls out how, you know, Jesus Christ will not return until women are behaving more male, where they're able to, you know, gain more of their, their male uh, side of them, you know. And, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, feminism itself, for example, is like a prophetic point of view for that, that has to come to pass before Christ's return, etc., uh, according to the Gospel of Thomas, which is an extra-biblical book. Although, while it is extra-biblical, I recommend anyone read it because it's very fascinating and presents some very interesting wisdom and some mysteries that go along with it. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, so just understand, guys, when it comes to king, queen, warrior, mother, magician, matron, or you know, lover, lover, for each of the, the archetypes, the mature masculine, the mature feminine, 
uh, understand how that directly translates to personal responsibility, humility, wisdom, mastery in terms of the ego, subconscious, unconscious, and superego, and then how that translates into your different life crises. I appreciate the fact that many people immediately went to the comment section as like, well, you know, I'm a woman and, you know, having a baby and, and being married was not really my priority. It was really self-sufficiency. You know, it's like, okay, that's fair. That's fine. I mean, you may have a masculine ego to go along with it, or you may have that plus uh, some human nurtural things going on, or you may have never actually had a man in your life who's willing to die for you to help facilitate you taking on that mother archetype or, uh, or, or that wife archetype, et cetera, in the process. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's the only way to get past quarter life crisis. I just want to make that abundantly clear to everyone before people start assuming that's what I'm saying. And as much as people will start assuming that I'm, you know, that I'm in full support of transgenderism because, you know, my work says that, you know, the different egos could be different, you know, you could have a feminine ego and a masculine body and that's proof that transgenderism is, is okay in this thing. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I know that regardless of what I say, people are going to twist that and take it there. When the reality of the situation is, it's just built-in mental redundancy of masculinity and femininity within all of our minds to guarantee the survival of the race. That's what it's there for. It's there so that our human nature can compete with regardless of what the nurture is in our lives, the external factors for our lives, the nurture that impact our natures on a daily basis that cause us to have cognitive focus or cognitive transitions, etc., at different times, based on those changes, our brains are able to cope with all of those challenges because we have those built-in uh, feminine and masculine primary and secondary yin and yang traits within our minds to be able to handle those challenges. So that's the whole point I'm trying to say here. And that's literally how the four sides of the mind impact you know, life stages of a human. That's literally how it works. So anyway, folks, uh, if you found this lecture useful, helpful, educational, or enlightening, please subscribe to the channel here on YouTube. And if you have any questions about this crazy metaphysical stuff, uh, and this existentialist uh, conversation, please leave a comment below. I'll be happy to do that. I read all of your guys' comments. Um, since I'm also here on a live stream, uh, let's see what kind of questions are um, coming up. Um, uh, let's see if we have some interesting questions. I'll take some questions relating to this lecture, guys. Uh, just a couple of them, and then we're going to call it quits here. Uh, so uh, if you guys want to have, um, uh, so no Marky Mark, no, that's not what I'm saying. Wow, that's like ridiculous. Um, so, but yeah, if you guys have a couple questions relating to just this lecture, uh, I'll be happy to answer a couple of questions. Yes, yes, I, there's no comment Lucas Martinez for me to read. So yeah. Um, so Jamaji asks, I wonder if an INTJ is developing his ESFP subconscious and starting to use FI responsibly, does he gain FE, uh, critic? Um, kind of, you'd have to see season 19 for that, but that's not relevant to this. All right. We got Parsi in the house. Hey, Chase, is someone more likely to be gay if they're a man with a feminine ego and vice versa? I get asked that question a lot. And honestly, 
the answer is no. The answer really is no. Uh, there's actually, uh, my, my INFJ mentor is an expert in this area, actually. He, he knows so much more about how uh, homosexuality ends up manifesting uh, in men specifically over time. He even has some crazy statistics. Now, correlation is not causation, but he has some crazy statistics where, like, for example, if, if there's a family with a bunch of children, there's a higher statistical chance that one of the boys is going to be gay. And if one of those boys is gay, that boy's sisters are more likely to have three or more children, basically. And it's another example of redundancy that's built within the race. Now, I'm not necessarily, you know, um, I, I, I don't really know that much. I just know that he's a better source to talk to on that information. But I do know that the answer to that question is no, because there are even some, um, you know, men who have masculine sides of their mind, they're SE users, and uh, they would get into relationships thinking that they're straight, when the reality was they're like, no, I'm not actually straight. I actually do prefer men, and uh, I don't know why. I don't have enough information. I don't, ha I don't have enough analysis and human nurture to really know for sure. And that's super mega private for people to be willing to talk about anyway. So it'd be really hard to conduct a study on that. So uh, honestly, based on the people that I've coached in my, my coaching practice and anecdotal evidence, and based on the teachings of my INFJ mentor, answer is no, and I don't necessarily know why other than the concrete evidence that I have pointing to no. Um, so uh, let's see here. Let me uh, try to uh, scroll up a little bit. Um, okay, a video overview of which egos are male for female. Okay, so uh, again, season 17, episode three talks about this, but if you wanna use like a basic rubric, it's direct types are masculine and informative types are feminine. Um, and uh, what's your clear definition of feminine and masculine in this model? My clear definition is explained thoroughly in season 13, FT, please watch that. If you guys haven't watched season 13, what are you doing? You need to watch it in its entirety to really get a full a definition uh, for that. Allison Grant asks, can a person type one way in their youth and change as they age? No, uh, no, they, they, they can't. I mean, unless they have severe head trauma, but again, when uh, children present as their subconscious, as the, the younger they are, the more they use the type to type them, they're gonna present as their subconscious. And so you have to realize that, but the older they are, the more likely they present as their ego when it comes to children. So keep that in mind. Um, how can women get past a quarter life crisis? I mean, that depends. Uh, are they married and having children or are they on the path of self-sufficiency given uh, the situation in life? That's the primary versus secondary, et cetera. Whereas with men, it's the opposite. Self-sufficiency would be primary and then getting, a uh, getting married and having you know provisions for, for a wife and child, et cetera, that would be secondary. But then again, one's a prerequisite for the other. So from the male point of view, it's kind of mostly the same always where it could be potentially different for women, which makes sense because femininity is an aspect of chaos, whereas masculinity is an aspect of order. Uh, and that's why, you know, from a feminine point of view, women would potentially have a little bit more freedom of choice because they're a little bit more pliable. They're more like water instead of a firm earth-like substance, which is the, the, the masculine approach. Um, okay, uh, what other videos or resources would you recommend to an ENTP in a quarter-life crisis? 
I would recommend to an ENTP watch seasons four, six, and 13 playlists on this YouTube channel. I would also recommend you read the book No More Mr. Nice Guy. I don't, even if you're a, a female, read No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover. It's absolutely important. And also read the book Attached uh, as well. Uh, and also When Helping Hearts. And also the book Big Magic, I would say. Um, uh, can you just skip all this crisis at teens? No, you have to go through it at some point in time. Best to do it sooner than later, though. Ice Cream asks, since the child function becomes the parent in the subconscious, uh, is the child responsible for the superego development, like how the parent is responsible for the shadow development? Yes, kind of. Uh, but it's so much more than that. To learn more about that, watch season 19 at csjoseph.life forward slash Patreon. Um, where am I getting these questions? I'm getting them from the live chat. Um, okay, so let's see here. Um, okay. Is it possible for children to be in their shadow? Of course it is. That's exactly what happened to me. Um, Eric Alvarez asks, you've talked about pickup. Neil Strauss is an ENTP. Yes, he is. If a person uses his system to improve their social skills, what cognitive function is he influencing? Introverted sensing, mostly, uh, and maybe extroverted feeling. Um, and uh, Jamaji asks, can a person skip all these crises at childhood uh, through developing their subconscious and shadow? No, the crises are inevitable. You have to go through them. It's, it's like rite of passage, except you have multiple rites of passage. Um, what do each crisis look like in each type? Don't know. I'll have to do a specific season about that uh, in the future. Um, if you guys really want a season about that, I will, um, I will definitely... Uh, uh, I'll put that in my notes series on how each type uh, presents with each life crisis. All right, there you go. I'll, I'll have it coming. Um, okay, and um, the questions are, I may not see your guys' questions. I'm just going to the bottom of the feed, so please re-ask them again. Um, I had Stockholm Syndrome. I wonder if uh, relationships are now real or not. Watch uh, the season 21 episode for ENTPs for that, Lucas Martinez. Um, a plethora of me asks, what would you recommend for female INTJ quarter life crisis? Well, find out what you want. The thing is, is though, oftentimes INTJ females with their TE parent often think that going for the self-sufficiency route will bring them status, which it typically does, but they're also going to end up suffering the judgment of other women. But then again, TE parent, because it's pessimistic, does not necessarily care for the judgments of other women, but eventually their FI child will get in the way, and then eventually they'll end up feeling bad about not already being married and potentially being a mother uh, you know, in the long run, which can be inevitable uh, for some INTJ women. So really, it just comes down to what is it you actually want? And if you don't know what you want, go look at what other women are doing and see if you want what they have. And not from a coveting or jealousy or envious point of view, but just from just to kind of see what's going on first. Chris Burney, if a woman's quarter life crisis isn't resolved, what happens at midlife crisis? They combine together and then they explode in your face to the point where there's divorce and loss of career and everything completely breaks down. I go... I go into serious detail about this in episode 12. If you guys haven't watched episode 12, the previous episode, I go into that very deeply. Um, okay, and uh, okay, some real jerks. Okay, I've scrolled to the bottom again. Curious, Kira asks, do INTPs females really come off as more masculine? 
Actually, they don't. A lot of them think they do because they have TI Hero, but they actually really don't. And it's usually because of like INP cuteness. Um, so, uh, Parzival, what would you recommend for INFP quarter life crisis? Um, you know, if you're a man, honestly, just King Warrior Magician Lover. Read the book, King Warrior Magician Lover, Parzi. I highly recommend that. And also, if you have a chance, uh, watch uh, the, the entirety of Season 13 uh, playlist on this channel uh, for sure. I'm sorry that I keep throwing books at you and not specific examples, uh, but it's really the best way, Parzi, uh, for you specifically because you gain the most out of reading than other people given your type. Elizabeth Baker, uh, ENFJ Quarter Life Crisis Recommendation. Uh, similar to the INTJ approach, it's just it's more of just identify what you want, but uh, don't make the don't make the choice of throwing yourself at men. I know ENFJ women who like constantly throw themselves at women be, at, at, at men because they're trying to get acceptance, and it's a big issue. Yes, Railgun is snickering uh, at that, and uh, her snickering is well deserved. Um, I'll be honest, I've encountered so many young ENFJ women who have not gotten past their quarter-life crisis that just end up behaving like total hoes. And it's really sad that they do that. They just throw themselves at men and then they end up binging on sex because they think having sex with men will gain them acceptance and then eventually, you know, quantity or over quality and they end up making the mistake where it's like, oh, I'm going to have sex with men, even though I know they're not willing to die for me, which is, you know, they're just ended actually having sex with man children, not actually men at that point. So honestly, really just take care of yourself. Um, become the queen, queen archetype. Please watch my uh, second most controversial lecture on the entire channel, which is uh, season 13, episode three or four, which is the queen archetype lecture. Good luck getting through it because it's very painful um, for for women uh, oftentimes. Uh, Dai says, what about INFJ midlife crisis? That one is hard. Uh, basically, you better make sure that you are using practice makes perfect to get your nice little uh, wolf pack going on so that you have people around there that you're making stronger. Otherwise, you're at risk of being worthless and then feeling worthless. And then that just gets you into this unlimited depression, which you need to pull yourself out of. You need to focus on optimizing your own personal performance at all costs. Um, okay, let's, uh, oh, it's scrolling me to the bottom again. I really hate this, uh, really hate this thing. Guys, if you don't have question marks, I'm not gonna be able to zero in on uh, things. How to move from super ego back to ego. All you have to do is just heal those functions and you'll be able to get back in your ego. Also, get away from influences that are putting you in your superego, like especially your family. That's usually a problem. Families and people in families are often way too ignorant and way too biased in order to actually understand you. So, uh, Courtney Bauerfiend asks, uh, INFJ women, quarter-life crisis, is it the same as INTJ women? No, it's not because often it's kind of more similar to the ENFJ approach, actually. James420, okay, awesome. So in a gay relationship, should one person focus on being more on the mature feminine side and raising a child, or should both uh, men focus on their rite of passage? That's a damn good question. Honestly, James420, I am not really, I don't want to say like I'm not qualified to say that because I mean, I mean, obviously not. Qualifications don't really matter to me or credentials don't matter to me but I don't have any experience with which to draw on to give a recommendation. I do know though that according to the content that I present in season four playlist, how do intimate relationships actually work? You, in a homosexual relationship, in order for it to be successful, 
one person has to represent the masculine side and the other person has to represent the feminine side. And those roles need to be understood and agreed upon. If they're not, ultimately the relationship could fail over time. And that's in a face-to-face -face compatibility relationship. In the context of a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder camaraderie relationship, well, the rules are different. So it just really depends. Are you going for compatibility? Are you going for camaraderie within your uh, homosexual relationship? It, that's, it, it changes the rules slightly. It's not something that I've talked about. But then again, I never recommend people in sexual relationships uh, have camaraderie-based sexual relationships. That's just asking for it. Gamaji is back again. Do you have any examples of INTJs with developed ISFJs super ego? Um, no, who have gone through three quarter life crisis. I mean, Buddha, uh, basically Buddha uh, for sure uh, would be would be that example. Um, okay, scrolling down again. Um, uh, OPH2 asks, what is your opinion about the hero and the child are the first cognitive function developed in humans? Yeah, that's true. Those are the first, it's the hero then the child. Yes, that's true. Um, uh, have you developed your ESFP superego chase in a good way? In some ways I have, thanks to Railgun's influence in my life, I have. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for her tutelage in that area. Um, okay, and... Um, Lev asks, should parents be focused on keeping the child's mind in balance on all four sides of the mind, or should they prefer one side based on the gender and age? Uh, that parents need to be focused on strengths and hammer their children's strengths and not pay much attention to weaknesses and more so tolerate the weaknesses, but focus on strengths, 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 because the stronger a human being is in certain areas, other people overlook the flaws in other areas. Okay. Uh, okay, let's try to... Uh, how do I best learn socializing? That's not necessarily for this thing. Um, yes, Buddha is an INTJ. Um, and, uh, okay, cool. All right, I think that's it for question, folks. I think they are the questions are no longer relating uh, to this uh, particular stream. So thank you all for coming. Uh, Thank you uh, for everything, uh, you guys. Uh, I love this audience, and thank you for your supports. Uh, we got plenty more content. You guys might want to search c.s.josephresponds, a new YouTube channel launching either tonight or tomorrow uh, with additional content. We hope to be releasing a video every single day on this new channel. So uh, with that being said, folks, thanks for watching, and I'll see you guys tonight.